As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, ho there, it's me, Josh, your friend, uh, with this week's edition of SYSK Selects. And for this week, I've selected How Zero Works, a surprisingly riveting episode about zero. You know, zero made famous by the phrase, you better lose that zero and get yourself a hero. Well, it turns out that zero is pretty great in its own right. Just listen to this episode, okay? Enjoy. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And uh, this is a rare, unusual, mathematical uh, episode of Stuff You Should Know. Yes, and I'm just going to step out of the room, and I'll be back in, what, 25 minutes? you're going to do this. (laughs) This is not going to be another yo-yo episode. Oh, I just hate math. This was this was this is not math heavy at all. It's yeah. about the history of zero. It's about the weirdness of zero. My hero zero. Exactly. Till you it's came along. People counted on their fingers and toes. I posted that today on Facebook. I don't know what that is. The schoolhouse rock. Oh, I don't remember. My that. hero zero. I don't remember that one. Till you came along. Keep they going. Counted on her fingers and toes. Yeah. It's basically you would appreciate it because it sings what you wrote. Oh, that's great. In a much more basic way, but basically trying to teach kids how amazing zero is and don't discount it as just, it's a number. It's not the absence of something. Well, there's Although a lot. It is. There's a bunch to it. It's <laughs> many, many things. It's a multifaceted uh, number. Not. Nil. It's a multifaceted entity. Zilch. Well, n- null is German for zero. Did you know that? Bupkis. Yeah. Bupkis is, I believe, Spanish for zero. Zilch. Zilch is Cajun. <laughs> I did actually get a little etymology research. Originally, Sanskrit was Sunya, which meant empty. Mm-hmm. Then later, Arabic was Safira, or nothing. Mm-hmm. Then Italian was Zafiro, and then finally French gave us zero. Right. And it wasn't, you know, we represent zero as something that looks confusingly like an O. Yeah. Right? That was the Europeans who did that. Prior to that, the Arabs... And I believe the Indians too um, represented zero with a heavy dot. You know where that might have come from? Where? Robert Kaplan's book, "The Nothing That Is: A Natural History of Zero." Mm-hmm. He speculates that the shape comes from the round depression left in the sand, uh, a sand counting board. Once you remove a stone from it, wow! So the absence sight. would be a round thing. That's what he 
he thinks he speculates but that wouldn't that wouldn't have been the europeans it was the europeans that came up with that well no but you said uh Uh, like a heavy dot yeah a heavy dot a solid could be the depression where a stone was in sand that's a good one Hmm. who was that robert kaplan thanks mr kaplan (laughs) um well i guess i feel like we've kind of done a pretty good setup here chuck i think so too uh, we've talked about how zero is multifaceted, um, and we you we talked about the Arabs and the Indians, right? Yeah. Um, and we have to go back even further to first find when zero made itself known. Should to we get people. in the Wayback Machine? Let's. I think let's blow the dust off of this thing. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. That was right at you. You think this thing still works? Let's find out. You ready? Yeah. Hey, look at there. Wow. Lit up like a flux capacitor. This is nice. Um, we're back in uh, ancient Sumer, and these baked clay tablets haven't even been baked yet. They're still wet. Look. Wow. J-O-S-H. Was here. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, Chuck, if you'll look at this uh, clay tablet, do you see these two uh, diagonal lines? Yeah, those little wedges. Yeah. Those, my friend, represent... Nothing. Really? And the, the reason they're there is because around about this time, somebody figured out, they ran into a problem in, uh, when they were making some sort of tax record or grain inventory that, um, you know, showing that basically writing out 3,000 lines That's for the 3,000 heads of cattle, sure. that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But let's say you have um, 300, you have 3,000 heads of cattle. And all you have are the ways to represent 300 heads of cattle. Yeah. There's a big difference, right? There's an extra digit in there. Yeah. And that those two uh, diagonal lines were used to represent one of those digits when there was not any digits there. But there's something to the left of it and something to the right of it. That's right. And Kaplan also said that before that even, they just would leave a blank space sometimes before they even came up with the little wedges. Right. So... What what this is all based on is basically our numerical system, where if you look at a string of numbers, right? Yeah. Starting from the right, you have the ones column, the tens column, the hundreds, the thousands, the ten thousands, the hundred thousands, and so on. Do you want me to keep going? Ad infinitum. Right. Yes. Um, and in each of these columns, there may or may not be numbers present. So when there are numbers present, we have our friend zero to serve as what's considered a placeholder. Yeah. makes. I mean, it's very <clears throat> easy to just say, well, duh, now. But way back then, before there was a zero, the, you know, we take it very much for granted now, yeah. I think. This is huge. This changed everything. Changed everything. Um, all of a sudden now, because, I mean, we said there's a big difference between 3,000 head of cattle and 300 head of cattle. And by putting a zero there, right, saying yeah. this, this column is represented, it, there's just not any in here. You're not going to find the two cattle that should be in this. Right. It, that changed everything. It changed everything. It I made, bet that was frustrating before that. Yeah. You're like, if only there was something to put there. Yeah. And Instead I guess when they left, like just trust me, I have three thousand right. cattle. Okay. And I guess when they left the blank space, that got confusing because they could have thought it was an error. So they figured we have to put something there, so they know it's not just an oversight. Right. Exactly. Hence the uh, diagonal lines. Well, in this, uh, I think before it even became that standardized, it was they used different things because uh, 
They found a tablet from 700 B.C., and a dude used three little hooks to represent zero. Well, that would have been after that, because uh, the Sumerians were doing this like oh, 5,000 really? years ago. Oh, well, it's probably hard to get the word around. <laughs> right. You know. Three hooks. What is this crud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the uh, the Sumerians are the first documented to, to come up or stumble upon zero as a placeholder. Sure. And then it was um, codified with the invention of the abacus, which uses you know, our um, numerical column system right. that we use today, um, which was invented by the Babylonians about 300, 500 B.C. Wow. Right? Smart folks back then. So we have zero as a placeholder. We have this understanding now that there's, there's something out there like we can represent nothingness. Yeah. But it wasn't until um, the 5th century A.D. in India where zero first comes about as a concept as a number which is equally groundbreaking. Yeah, and this nothingness, we should point out, was not something that people were comfortable with back then. Uh, true. Oddly, now it seems odd, but mm-hmm. to have something represent nothing made people very uncomfortable. It was uh, associated with chaos and the great void and even the sign of the devil. Yes, it was. Well, I mean, the, if you look at the Christian theology, um, the void which is represented by zero or nothingness, yeah. was the state of the universe before the creation of man, humans. Sure. Uh, Sikhs feel the same way too, although I don't know how they felt about zero. Oh, really? But that was their, their, that's their conception as well. It, there was nothing. There's void. Um, and then also void fits well with chaos, which is the Christian conception of hell. Right. Like no one's in charge. Right. So, yeah, it was avoided. I don't know. I went back and looked, Chuck, after I wrote this article... Um, when we were studying today, I went back and looked, and I didn't find a lot of support for that. I didn't either. I did see that, like, um, the during the Dark Ages, monks kind of were probably, they feared zero. Well, Kaplan mentioned it in his book, so. But, I mean, it was out there, but there's no, well, these people did this. They right. killed this guy for saying the word zero. There was nothing right. like that out there. I think more, uh, more to the point, it was the Romans who just didn't use zero. And the West was built by Rome, and, um, and that's, I think, where the uh, shunning of zero came from. Not necessarily from fear, but just because the Roman numeral system doesn't have zero. Yeah, I, I found where they flirted with it at first, with uh, Nulla, N-U-L-L-A, uh-huh. which they would represent with a little N, but it clearly didn't take. No. And they said, oh, we're not going to use it as zero. No. Why would we ever need zero? We don't need it as zero. Right. Did they talk like that back then, too? Yeah, you know, like Vinny from Brooklyn? Sure. I think so. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. 
your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. So where are we? In India? Yeah, we're in the 5th century uh, AD in India. And a guy named um, Aryabhata, Aryabhata is possibly the person who invented zero. Really? Possibly. Or discovered, as you like to say? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for correcting me with my own words. <laughs> I know. That's that weird. a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, when they're your articles. So um, there, it, it is pretty pretty much universally accepted that zero was uh, created or discovered <clears throat> in India. And then it spread pretty quickly over um, to uh, Islamic nations, yeah. Arab nations. Um, and the it was the Arabs who taught a guy named Fibonacci, Leonardo Pisa, uh, who was a great mathematician of the West, in the, uh, I think, the 12th century or the 13th century. You know, people are going to say, do the, the Fibonacci number. Go ahead. Well, no, no, no. People are going to ask for that podcast. Oh, okay. In fact, they've already been asking for that podcast. Do you want to do that one? Yeah. You want to? Maybe. Probably not. Okay. <laughs> well, Fibonacci was um, the son of a customs officer in Algeria, Chuck. Yes. And he had uh, Arabic tutors, and they said, hey, kid, we're going to teach you how to really do math. Because by this time, by the, uh, I think the 1200s, um, or the 1100s, so the yeah. 12th century, uh, the Arabs were very well versed in mathematics, sure. and the West was still just complete idiots. Fortunately, Fibonacci was over there getting tutored, yeah. and he figured out, wow, this is really, really important, and introduced our uh, Arabic numeral system, which we use today, uh, to the West through a book. So you said he wrote a book. Did he write the book? No, he wasn't the only one. Okay. Oh, okay, no, that's not true. For the West, yes, he wrote the book. And then other people wrote treatises on his book. Okay, so, so he pretty much set the basis? Yes. Okay. He was the, uh, the, the fulcrum, the hinge between West and Middle East. A zero is a fulcrum. Yes, it is. Interesting. Um, so he was the one who introduced it to the West. But again, I mean, we say that because we're Western writers, Chuck, but... It was very well established for hundreds of years by the time Fibonacci heard about zero. Yeah, and you also point out, interestingly, that simultaneously and completely independently of India, uh, in Central America, the Maya 
we're also uh, beginning or already using Zero. Yeah. To uh, mainly for their calendar, right? Yeah, it was their. Uh, it was the base of counting. Um, Which makes sense. It totally makes sense, and it makes for a more accurate calendar, right? Sure. So, like, for Mayan calendars, like, the day of the month would be zero day, yeah. then one day, then two day, then three day, and so on. How would you say that, though? Because you say first, second, third. How would you say? They had um, they had different names for sure. the day, like Zul. Oh, okay. Would be Zul or, you know, Mon or something like that. It was like the the... Rather than first, second, third, they didn't have numerals like that. Right, like first, second, third—that's Arabic. Right. So to the Maya, it was like okay. Zul day. Isn't that Ghostbusters? I think so. Okay, but that was what Sumerian. Oh yeah, Zul was Sumerian. It's all coming together. Um, so that does make for a lot more accurate counting. Um, and that's one of the big flaws in our calendar, the Gregorian calendar, is that there is yeah. no zero year. Well, and we all got that pointed out to us quite. Uh, through the through the media, especially when uh, the millennium turned, yeah. because there's no year zero. Our decades and our centuries and our millennia um, actually occur at the end of that year and not the beginning, like when the clock struck uh, midnight at 2000. We all went, "Yay, new millennium!" Yeah, not so. And we still had a year left. That's right. Had we started counting from zero, then yeah, in January first, 2000, yeah, that would have been the start of the new millennium. But the pro- the we started counting from one, so one to two thousand is nineteen hundred ninety nine years rather than two thousand years. And there was one guy in every bar trying to point out to as many people as he could. <clears throat> Do you realize it's not even true? And he's like, "Why isn't anyone buying me drinks for this? Know, exactly. So crazy. Why did? Why are they going to beat me up? Yeah. Um, and for, I put a little, a little notation in there because I have trouble wrapping my head around that sometimes. But the point is, is there's 10 single-digit numbers in the uh, Arabic numerical system that we use. Yes. And it's 0 through 9. Makes Anything total sense. beyond that is in the 10s column or above. And thanks to 0, we have a 10 column. Exactly. Take it, Chuck. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Western astronomers, they came up with a system, uh, late 17th and early 18th century, mm-hmm. that designated calendar year 1 BC as 0. And then basically anything above or below that would either be uh, plus or minus, so A, uh, B.C. or A.D. Right, so uh, 2 A.D. would be minus 1, or no, 2 B.C. would be minus 1 B.C. Yes. Since we're not living in A.D., they just kind of screwed with the B.C. a little bit, so right now we're in plus 2012. Yes, which also makes, I mean, it's not just calendars. I mean, zero lies between negative 1 and 1. And serves as a fulcrum point for basically all numbering, yeah, positive and negative. And that was Jacques Cassini who came up with that um, astronomical calendar. Boy, those Italians were all up on this stuff, weren't they? I, yeah, I took him to be French, but yeah, was I guess he? that is an Italian. Well, Jacques, though. Yeah, who maybe knows? He's... Maybe he's Northern Italian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they he he basically said, well, wait, why don't we just choose one year to be zero, and then we'll just basically make it, we'll make the calendar based on zero's rightful place in numbering, yeah. which is precisely between <clears throat> one and negative one. There's a zero there. It doesn't just go from negative one to one. Right. Zero is, like you said, the fulcrum of all numbers. It spreads out infinitely on either side. So it's not positive, and it's not negative. Uh, and um, so it's the only number that is 
non-positive and non-negative, but it's neither a positive number nor a negative number. Wrap your head around that one. Yeah. Uh, you college students sitting around here at midnight, just uh, gaze up at the stars and try and figure that out. <laughs> Start counting. Start counting. It's also an integer, a whole number, right? Yes. And uh, is very handy when it comes up to ratios yep. and fractions because a fraction can be written in a couple of ways, either with uh, the one on top of the other or with a little decimal point. Yes. And without those zeros, you wouldn't be able to do that. No, so this decimal system, um, basically it, you can look at it as anything to the right of the decimal. Yes. So the tens, the hundredths, the thousandths, right? The yeah. THs. Tenths, hundredths, about, yes. Th- thank you. Yeah, you're getting as bad as me, Chuck. <laughs> um, they, those are all encapsulated in that zero that's up to positive one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because it's less than a whole one, but it's not so much that it's negative one. Right. It's encapsulated by that zero. So yeah. all of these ratios, all of the decimal system, gives us these incredibly precise numbers, whereas we can count in whole numbers to the right of zero in positive whole numbers that just goes on and on and on and measures the vastness of the universe. Right. To go the other way, to, to go in this infinite decimal system that's encapsulated within zero, lets you measure the infinitesimal Right? Yeah, so it's not like, oh, it's between two and three. Right. I mean, try making like high-quality machine parts using whole numbers. Yeah. You not, can't. No, it can't be done. So there's all sorts of things that would have never taken place had zero not given rise to the decimal system. Or everything would be really big. <laughs> yeah. You know? Everything would be like twice as large. Like the 10,000-year clock wouldn't even work. Remember? They were using yeah. like fractions of an inch that still wouldn't work. That's true. Um, what else, Chuck? Well, uh, you point out uh, very astutely some odd properties of zero, yeah. and they are actually called the properties of zero because it's such an, a weird number that you have to have properties to explain it. Exactly. So, the uh, which is the first one called? Is the additive property of zero? Well, Addition uh, property? Yeah. Add zero to anything, and you're going to get that same thing. That sounds very basic. Same with subtracting. Sure. Five it, plus zero is five. Uh, right. Five minus zero is five. Right. It, and it is very basic, but it, zero is the only number that doesn't affect another number when it's added or subtracted to it. Which is important. It is. Anytime a number is the only thing of, of its kind, sure. it's worth mentioning. Like pi. There's, um, which, by the way, wouldn't exist without zero in the decimal system. Or, or any of those other it numbers. It wouldn't <laughs> exist to us. Yeah, true. Um, there's the additive inverse property of zero where any numbers who, that add up to zero are additive inverses of one another. So negative five plus positive five, or just five, mm-hmm. as they call it in positive land, yeah. equals zero. So yep. negative five and five are additive inverses of one another. Multiplying? Mm-hmm. From the time you're, I think I learned in the second grade, my multiplication tables, if I remember correctly. Ms. Anderson and Ms. Temple, thank you very much. Very good, Chuck. Uh, they uh, taught me that if you multiply any number by zero, you're going to get zero. And as you point out, that multiplication is really just a quicker way of adding things. It's like a shortcut. Yeah, it's a shortcut. So uh, the idea that a number can be added zero times uh, or that zero can be added to itself. That's the one I get the most. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you, like five times zero doesn't mean zero plus zero plus zero plus zero plus zero. That doesn't mean anything. It's right. zero. Yeah. Right.
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. What about dividing by zero? Let me ask you. No, let me ask you. This is the part where I was like, what? Nobody understands this. Okay. I don't feel very bad about this because no one really understands it. Um, There's no, so there's these other properties of zero that cover like additive inverse, addition, subtraction, multiplication. There is no property that says why you can't divide by zero because it's so nonsensical. Right. It doesn't even exist. The concept of dividing by zero doesn't really actually exist except in, you know, the imagination of people. I bet mathematicians have tried, though, like frustratingly tried. You can't. There's nothing you can do. And they don't even fully understand why. But the, um, the best explanation that I saw was that it has to do kind of with the multiplication property, right? Mm. To where if you divide something, so like 6 divided by 2 equals 3. So if you can divide a number, um, the result of that number yeah. by the divisor, so in this case 3 and 2 multiplied by one another should equal the dividend, which is 6. Right. Now if you divide 6 by 0, right, it doesn't equal anything. It, it should equal zero if you multiply it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to equal two. Right. Uh, that's the best example I could come up with. Yeah, that makes sense, though. It shouldn't. Like well, I mean... You're completely insane. It makes sense that it doesn't make sense. Okay. That's what I'm saying. And uh, Stephen Wright had a joke. He said that black holes are where God tried to divide by zero. <laughs> wow, you like that <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Stephen Wright... <laughs> His, uh, I still did the, his one bit sometimes when um, 
people get in the car with me, I say, hey, put your seatbelt on. I want to try something. And that was one of his jokes. Nice. He's like, just try that whenever someone gets in a car. He's good. Yeah. Um, and then also there's the property of zero exponent, which also doesn't make any sense, Chuck. There's, um, you know, there's negative exponents, like numbers to the negative power. Like 10 to the negative 5. Yes. Yeah. Because of this, mathematically, it works out, but I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> numbers to the zero power equal yeah. 1. But that doesn't make any sense because zero multiplied by something should equal zero, not 1. Yeah. That's how it works out, though. It's Hinky. a magical, mysterious number. My hero, zero. And I ran across one other thing that I thought was pretty cool. Um, the, the, the evidence of um, Islamic countries' uh, comfort with zero uh-huh. as a concept right. and Western countries' discomfort with it can be found still today on elevators. In countries where the Ottoman Turks or um, any other Islamic nation um, conquered and ruled for a while, uh-huh. you're still going to find evidence of a comfort with zero. Like in Hungary... If you look in Spain, I hear too. If you look on an elevator, the ground floor is zero, and any floor beneath that is a negative number. Really? Yeah. Like the basement parking, like subject like parking? negative one, negative two. Huh? Isn't that cool? And apparently, that's because of the presence of the Turks who were there for a while. Wow. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have elevators then, but apparently, like the that's like you don't see a floor zero in the West. No, you don't. We just don't like zero that much. Or a floor 13. Right. Although it is 13. We've had that talk before, I think. We have. Yeah. What do we have here? P1, P2 in our building? Yeah. That's so boring. Definitely not negatives. Let's say that from now on. Like, what level are you parked on? I'm on negative four. Yeah. I will say that. What? I will say that right now. I'm on uh, negative three. I'm on negative two. I was here early. Good going, Chuck. Yeah. Um, And also, let's see. You can type uh, zero... You got anything else? Or you're just happy to be done with this one? Huh? No, this was actually really good. Um, I don't know about that. Zero is my hero. Three um, is a magic number. If you type in zero in this, just the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, it will bring up this article, including a cool little story that we didn't get to about a gray parrot. True. Uh, and also, I highly encourage, if, if this even piqued your interest at all, I highly encourage you to read uh, Zero in Four Dimensions, which is a, an article you can find online from 2002 by a guy named Hossein Arsham. And he explains in much greater depth and detail, like, Zero and what's so cool about it. Or, if you want to really get into it, Robert Kaplan wrote a whole book on it. We should do one on three. All right. I pitched that article long time ago. Long time ago. I remember. On uh, on three. Yeah, I remember. So those would be our two. No, I'd have to write it though. So I don't know if that'll ever happen. Get to it. Okay. I wrote this so we could do this. Well, you're more of a man than me. <laughs> um, I think at some point in the not too distant past, Chuck, I said search bar. Yes. So that means it's time for listener mail. Indeed, I'm going to call this uh, coffee, including coffee song. From a listener. Okay. This is from Ashley. Uh, great work on the coffee podcast, gents. I uh, could have saved my last four years of work at a cafe just by listening to y'all. Really, though, it was a splendid way to spend my days getting to know the locals in downtown Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, North America, Earth. Have we entered the song yet? Because she rhymed a second ago. No, that is not the song. Okay. That's coming. That's great. Uh, she's just a rhymer by nature, I think. Uh, While I can't say I'm a total coffee snob or expert, I do have a thought on the old why is Starbucks so bitter debate. I think that part of the taste comes from the number of beans used in the blend. 
For instance, at the cafe I used to run, we served both Milano coffee and then Umbria. I believe that each of these companies, plus the coffee I now drink called Intelligentsia, contains a blend of beans, as many as 15 different kinds, to create that smooth balance (laughs) I really love in my Americanos. Is her last name Starbuck? (laughs) No, no, no. She's saying Starbucks doesn't use the blend. Oh, gotcha. It's more bitter. Her name is Mom and Pop. Gotcha. Her last name. Uh, As far as I understand, Starbucks may use as few as one to three types of beans and their espresso blend. Uh, Like I said, I think this may be a part of uh, the story, but not likely the whole story. On another note, since leaving the cafe, I now work with a group of software nerds who used to visit my cafe on a regular basis. So now I, too, get to go for coffee every day. It's one of the perks of the job, pun intended. Uh, we uh, We even have a little coffee song, and she recorded this and sent it to us. So we're going to play that right now. Coffee, 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 coffee all day long. When I eat some coffee, I sing the coffee song. Well, that's the G-rated version I learned. So how about that, Josh? That was something else. Thank you, Ashley, for that. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, She says, as you can tell, we're a bit mad about our coffee drinking. It's the new smoke break for us. What, um, where is that person from? Uh, She didn't say. Oh, no, she did say. I'm sorry. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Oh, that's right. Earth. That's right. Well, thank you very much for that. We appreciate you and um, your coworkers for making that song, for listening, for drinking coffee. Indeed. For caring. That's great. Yeah. Um, if you have a song, Chuck, we get them from time to time, and I feel like we should we should be better about playing them. Yes. Uh, we want to hear it. You can... Uh, I guess make it as like an MP3, MP4. MP3 is good. Right, Jerry? Uh, MP3. <laughs> uh, and uh, you can send it to us. You can tweet to us and tell us it's on the way at uh, SYSK Podcast. You can go on to Facebook and tell us it's on the way at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can actually send it to us at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.